0: Hi, I am Ranga Sheshadri, CEO of Niamo, a leader in providing global payroll technology and services for global multinationals. surprised to learn that most companies outsource their payroll processing. There are multiple reasons for this, ranging from changing compliance requirements to the need for manual work to confidentiality. Globally, companies spend about $50 billion in payroll software and services. In this episode of the Spotlight Podcast, your host Akshay Dutt is talking with Rangarajan Seishadri, the founder and CEO of the leading payroll solutions company Niyamo. You can compare Niyamo to a company like Infosys. It serves Fortune 500 clients across the world, but with a focus on payroll. In this conversation, Rangarajan talks about the journey of building up Niyamo and some of the fascinating disruptions we can expect to see in the space of payroll. Listen on to this insightful conversation about building a global leader from India. I was born in 1974, my dad worked in State Bank of India, my mom was a toting mother. Because I was a late kid, he retired pretty early, so I came to Chennai when I was in 8th standard. did my higher secondary year and joined engineering. So I did computer science engineering and got a job in a leading IT software company called Square D. After that, I went to the US. For two, three years, did consulting, roamed around US. You went on your own or your employer sent you there? this? No, I finished and then I got employed by another employer, then went to the US. Well, I had a fun. I was 21, 22, 23. The world was open. I had a lot of money in my pocket. And then I came on a holiday here. I realized my parents missed me. They were okay for me there, but I thought it was my duty to get back. So I came back here, joined a company called Exavent. For all my life, I worked only for one boss. I moved jobs with him. Today he's the chairman of Yahoo. So kept the Xavier. He was moving to Xaven. I moved with him to Xavier. Spent about twelve years. And tell me about Xaven. Was it an Indian company or a-, a top fifteen Indian IT services company? They were transforming themselves in early ninety eight. They hired a bunch of different management, my boss Ashok was one of them, to transform themselves and then the whole management moved them for the top fifteen IT services. When we had left in 2009, they were top 10, one of the top 10 IT services company in India. So that's where my exposure to HR started. And what kind of work did they do? Typically, there would be some focus industries or... So they started with on kind of services and then we focused on three broad areas, ERP and uh, EAI integration and other areas. But ERP, at those days, they, there was a lot of focus on people's uh, the HRMS, right? That's where my foray into, they were leading soft implementation support. Partner plus other IT services. I was focused on the enterprise, the people soft part of it. So that's my introduction into HR and payroll where I implemented supported a lot of customers. Then so Ashok went on to become the CEO of their BPO business. We started their HR outsourcing arm of Xavier so called Calibre Point. So I moved to head that the HRO services part. This is what we call HR outsourcing. So across the hire to retire of an employee, there was a lot of processes that we supported. Background screening and performance management support, learning support, all of that. So those are all of the things that we supported. And then in 2009, me, Ashok, and a bunch of another, Vivek, Rohan and Sam, five of us started Niyamo. So what was the triggers? What made you want to leave steady, stable, well-paying jobs? We had spent about 10 15 years providing services to global customers. We realized that if we had to, and that's where this global payroll today, was born the idea of creating a global solution for HR and payroll, right? And we realized that not a lot of companies were focusing on high markets like the US, Germany, UK, but all, all global organizations had presence in 100 plus countries. There was to be a solution for it. I thought we could provide it. So in 2009, we were just five of us. We had very little investment, no money. So one of our friends ran a company and he had a floor that was free. So he said it's 100 seats are available, just pay per seat. And then we will see. So this is five of us. So we used to switch off all the lights and sit in one corner because we just paid for that five seats. And if people used to come and visit us, they used to get scared because the whole place was like Woodpazla, right? Everything was switched off. So the first three, four years of our journey, we were focusing on broad-based HR services. And then our focus shifted from HR into payroll, creating the payroll technology, moving payroll from a services to a technology, where we are today. So if I had to break down our journey, 2009 to 2013, we did everything each up, right? Back, all the I to retire processes and this was basically a people intensive kind of a work. Exactly. It was more services and then when we were doing that for customers, we realized global payroll, which is providing payroll to multi-country as a single platform And as a single solution was missing in the marketplace, we realized we could build it. And for that, we needed technology to build. So we built the technology, moved from being a broad-based HR services company to a payroll technology and services company. And now... Moving that technology and services play to be a pure play technology provider or a SaaS provider. So that's how we have to break it down. 2009-2013 was a more HR broad-based, HR services company. Our first customer was a Japanese customer. So that like the first client, this Japanese company, you were doing like everything for them. Like you were their HR help desk. They had grown by acquisition. They had multiple recruiting companies they acquired. And we were unifying their, what they call an applicant tracking system. So each Company add their own African track, so you verify it, and then we moved on. There's an Indian company that we won as the first HR services company, and then there was a very large Fortune 500 company that trusted on us. Parallelly, we built a very strong background screening practice around background screening, providing background screening services for lots of companies in the US, being a back office. And also doing it in about 180, 190 countries, all your education, employment, professional checks, criminal checks, all of that. So this background verification needs a lot of local presence, right? Uh, how do you check if the person has a court record? or? A... Yeah, so most of the education employment was calling, right? So we had people calling. And for things that needed Last mile connectivity. We had vendors, partners, our own consultants in all these 190 countries who would then go to a courthouse or go to an educational institution, get the chapa or whatever, and get it back. Right. So we built a network, and that network later helped when we moved to payroll. Because while payroll, most of it can be through technology, there are compliances where we need to go and file, and then. There are local rules that needs to be, you know, if the rules were changing, we needed expert in each of these countries. And then what happened? Because we built a network for the screening part of the business that got extended to the payroll part of the business. So there, there was a synergy. And then from then on, we moved where we are. Okay. So when did you, you know, get your first client for global payroll? 2014. It was a large uh, FMCG company. We won the first team to manage global payroll. U.S. based UK quarter. But. Present in 67 countries. So that was our first deal. About 30,000 employees. And then no looking back after that. Yeah, and who was doing client acquisition? Like this would have been a major heavy lifting. Myself and Vivek. Vivek is our head of sales. And I have a natural instinct to sales. Uh, apart from the five founders, we then hired a lot of leadership after that, right? Why? and Subu runs all of our product companies, product leadership. We had other people who moved the way. But primarily sales today rests with three of us and marketing. So. Me, Vivek and Guhan is primarily focused on customer acquisition, Sam, Samuel Isaac, Sam runs marketing for us. So if I have to look at the... Go-to-market strategy, we four of us, focus on. Tell me that product or the technology evolution, when you started working on, two th- in 2013, we started working on creating a global payroll service. So what did that mean? That meant you needed to be able to do compliance across the world. And before that, actually, first, what does payroll service include for someone who's not from this HR space? Okay. So if you look at payroll, it means paying the employee. So payroll service includes paying the employee, right? If I have to break it down, there are three parts to the, I mean, if we have to look at breaking it down, number one is data coming in. So your customer has the data in their own HRIS, compensation data, leave data, absence data, and other expense data, all the other related data, reimbursements, incentives, everything, absolutely. So the data comes in, then you'll validate all the data. Then how do you validate the data? Like... It's a manual checking, basically. No. So that's what our technology does. So let me explain what payroll processing is and then let me break it down. So the validation happens. Then we have country engines that run payroll gross to net, what we call. So for India, there is rules that is configured a particular engine. So it comes in, does it, US, Germany, UK. And then there is output, which is compliance filing, your integration to GL, finance, whatever. And then your ESS, MSS, where people view their pay sending bank files so that they could get employee salary, blah, blah, blah. So this is the whole process. So we built a system. A lot of people think the key to payroll is just running payroll. That's not one part of it, right? Just, I mean, and if you configure a particular platform for the rules, India rules or US rules, it pretty much runs for everybody. For you, Akshay, Ranga, it runs. There's no issue. Right? But 60% is the data validation, right? So we built a technology which had... Four or five parts, and we bought it together. First is the input side of it, where we add AI ML based solution. So, if the client was sending in data through integration or manual upload, then we need to make sure we have all the necessary validations done. For example, Rangas last month salary was 3,000, this month is 5,000. Why? Was there an appraisal cycle? Your total cost of salary for India was one crore, this month, one crore 25 lakhs. Are we added? people for 25 lakhs? Have we done an appraisal cycle? So what we do is we have AI look at, go through all of this and then throw out exceptions saying, look, there are these exceptions. Are they real? Are Is there an issue with the data? So we try to eliminate all the errors at an entry level. Then once that is done, the second part of our technology is the gross net engine for each country. The, the gross net engine is simple stuff, right? Basic, whatever, HRA, how do you calculate? So that's all configured. Taxes are configured. Calculation happens. Payslips is generated. Backfile is sent. Then the downstream. Then the third part of our technology, which is downstream integration, your finance integration, GL integration, whatever, right? So we put these blocks, bought it, all of it together, to create the single platform. So if you had like, what is this transformation? Like if you had finance systems across the globe in one, finance system, HR system across the globe in one. Today, we define this the payroll hyperloop, And we have a single platform that runs payroll for all the countries you are presented. So what is a hyperloop? Point A to point B, remove all the friction, right? And make it seamless. And our vision is to take payroll real time. Today, payroll is a batch. So you get uh, inputs 24, there's a cutoff, leave absence happens, blah, blah, blah. So we want to take payroll real-time using our Hyperloop. What is taking it real-time is, if an employee works 10th of the month till ten, for example, today is 10th, till 9th, for some reasons, he wants to get take his salary till 9th. He has a party, he has a marriage, he has to go. So he click a button, it happens. The All the reconciliations, the filings can happen on the month-end, nobody works. So, we want to really, we call this the straight through processing. So, we want to eliminate any bit of manual intervention, take our technology that sits within the client's ecosystem of HR technology, make it seamless, and deliver what we call the Hyperloop or straight through processing. Our vision in the next two to three years is to take payroll real time, where an employee has the ability to run payroll by himself. Whether the company is so forward-thinking and wants to deploy it is another issue. But we really want to take payroll real-time. And for decades, payroll has not been innovated at all. So in a lot of sense, There is nothing called global payroll technology. There is HR technology, there is recruiting technology, there is learning technology providers. So in a lot of sense, we are creating an industry called global payroll technology and we're putting ourselves right inside it as a leader. So payroll till today, if you ask anybody, payroll till today is viewed as a service and not as a technology. So we are breaking that myth to say that payroll, yes, need not be service. It could be, can be A total technology transformation. Why do companies outsource payroll? So, for example, companies would generally do their accounting finance work in-house. Like they would have a large finance and accounts team. They would not outsource that. Or many rarely would they outsource that. Why do they outsource payroll? Because I think it's number one complex. People underestimate it. And I think for ages payroll has been outsourced as a service because they believe there are niche organizations that can handle it. If you take India, there will be hundreds and thousands of small payroll companies worldwide and same worldwide. And they believe it's not their core focus area. There are specialist firms that do it and it's best get get them outsourced. So that's the approach. And then as they became global and global... They had fragmented systems, multiple payroll providers. They didn't get the data. Compliance was not done properly. And that's where the need of a global provider emerged. And then a company like us flipped it to say, you don't just need a global provider. You need a global technology because technology solves most of these complicated problems. And today, I'm very proud to say most of the global fortune customers today get educated. And today, the, like every other digitization, payroll own owners in these companies are now on the CHRO, CFOs, have started to say we should digitize payroll as much as possible. But please be aware, payroll is a very sensitive area because if it's not broken, don't fix it. It's always been the approach because the heat, if you don't pay employees, can get very loud. It can hit the board in no time. The cost of a mistake is very high and the dissatisfaction, the board gets very jittery about it. We have done something to an industry that's not been done for hundred years. And that's what drives us people in the most HR ERPs. And now my exposure to HR ERPs is as a small business owner. Say in India you have Darwin Box and I'm sure each country would have these kind of HR systems. No, there are large HR ERPs. There are global systems like Workday and SA success factors and or so most of them uh, come with a built-in payroll module and so why the need to outsource when that technology is already there? Like Darwin Box would have built that engine of gross we Please understand our business is large enterprise to large enterprise. We're not talking about these 50, 100 people that will run payroll in that platform. We're talking about global customers who are present in 800 countries, trying to integrate and create a single platform. So please understand, Niabo solution is a large enterprise solution. And to an extent, mid-enterprise, if you have 5,000, 10,000 employees across 30, 40 countries. Ideally, it's not for a single country solution. It can work, but our proposition is for big, for large enterprise, Fortune 500, Global 1000, and to an extent, medium enterprise, right? 5,000, 10,000 employees. But the key is you're global. And today, everyone aspires to be global. The key is having this life. You have a finance system for all your entities globally, like you have an HR system for all your employees, you have a payroll system for all your employees across all the countries of operations. Imagine a CFO sitting and viewing the dashboard, just one single dashboard across all countries of operations for payroll. CHRO viewing. So that is fundamental transformation, which today is very fragmented. Like you said, it happens country level, it happens. And then what happens is there are multiple. So we have not only created the payroll technology, there are multiple ancillary products that needs to be created if I have to take it to the Hyperloop. For example, type, absence, expense, mini-HRIS. Like, for example, they would have rolled up the HRIS in large countries, but smaller countries will still be on spreadsheet. But for my Hyperloop to work, I need every part of it automated. I cannot have a single... So what we've also done is, along with this paid pump, which is our payroll technology, we've also built the point solutions which needs to be automated like your time, your absence, your expense management, your key hub, which is your HRIS. So that take the client existing technology platform, take our products, integrate, put it in, integrate the Hyperloop is for. I should not have for even a single country, manual intervention in that whole hyper. And so, once you got into, I, I want to know how you actually launched the global payroll service. How did you build the engines for each country, like that gross to net engine? How did you get the compliances in place? Okay, so what happened is, so the first we built the middleware, which is the paid for, which is the input processing and then the output. We started to use partners' engines in each of the country for the In-country, like each country would have some software provider who does payroll. Yeah, and then we were integrated with them. And then what we did, we started to then configure. So there's a base configuration and country level configuration. So today, 114 countries are configured in our own inch. We will take it to 130. At 130, we would have covered the globe. I mean, there may be few countries outside. So what we did is when, I mean, it's a good question. So we have the technology team that please understand there's a lot of configuration. There's no coding in this. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of local know-how. You need to know the rules for each and every country. So what we did is we split our global world into 10 regions like Middle East Africa, North America, Latin America, like that, we split it. And for each of the regions, we had, Accounting, chartered accountants, legal people, in-country consor- consultants who will work and then there is a tech there is a configuration team, technology team. So these two combine and created the engine. And then we have to lift the engine because it has to, for example, in the COVID last two years, everything changes every month. So the in-country team and the regional teams analyze what are the changes, how should it be implemented. So we have the product team and then we have the people behind the product. And hence not like a very cute SaaS company. We are not 300, 400 people. Our product team is 300, 400 people. But the bulk is because for each of the country, you need people behind the product. Because please understand, like lots of software or products, Payroll is not bought for bells and whistles. Payroll is bought for more functionality rather than technology. I can have a, for loss of better word, I can have a shitty UI. The Payroll people are not worried about bells and whistles. But for HR software, you need to upgrade UI. So please understand, and there are three dimensions to payroll product. There is a country dimension. There is a scale dimension. It has to work for one employee and one lakh employees. And then there are regional changes that happen. And domain, manufacturing versus retail, all these use cases have to be the product for it to work. So to build all the use cases, it is probably taken us eight, nine years and another eight, nine years. And then to maintain these use cases, because every time new use cases emerge. So the, if the product has to be live as on 11, 13 on 31st for India, I need my make the product happen team to every day look at use cases and say what should go into the product. Because it, there could be a new notification, there could be some change. Or I may see a use case in a manufacturing customer today that I deliver in India, which needs to be productized. Because it is something that every manufacturing customer will want to use. And please understand, these changes don't happen like once in a year, once in two years. They happen as we go. And hence, I mean, while I know that more people will follow our... But it's not easy. It's a very, very complex... We have about 150, 160, 4500 customers. We're not dealing with 150 customers. We're dealing with 10 million people that we deliver slip for. So, we are dealing with 12 million p- uh, customers. every single employee is a customer. They are not waiting to be explained at the wrong pace because your inputs came late or something else happened. No that for them is effectiveness so high entry barrier, very complex, very sensitive, and feel you have to productize it it's all the more difficult, so it is like moving a mountain so the path would have been that initially it would have been more services where people would have been. Running payroll through local. Exactly. And then now we are flipping it. So we started with this thing and then we started to flip it. So that's the only way because that's the only when your product matures. It's not finance product, supply chain product, HR product, where you have 25 screens and everybody knows what to do. This is more so more towards making the functionality work and the use cases work. And the use cases has two parts to it. One is country-level use case and also company-level use case. For example, each company, because it's compensation and because everybody wants to reward and award their employees differently, they've all got exotic. And I keep telling people, why do they complicate you know, but, that's but they're all kind exotic. Uh, give me examples. Yeah, I'll tell you. Some of these guys, if you're the expat, they give you, they move to horses. And there are elements. Right. For example, I'll tell you, if we do one of our large german headquartered manufacturing client, in Germany, the pay scale of the manufacturing people changes if the temperature goes up. Because it's hardship. That's like, like a government law. Okay. Because at 32 degrees, for example, is the optimum. If today it's at 33 degrees, the pay rate changes. We do payroll for one of the largest global resorts and hospitality brand. And for them, what they do is, every employee. if it's a small resort or if a small country resort, every employee does three roles. Front office, reception, back kitchen. And the pay rate changes. In a day, he has done two hours in front office. The pay rate is different. If he's worked in the kitchen, if he's served, if it's in back way, now, imagine in eight hours, he's done five rolls because they're, op- they're optimizing resources, right? They cannot afford to have because it's a spawn. And then if you're in retail, we do one of the largest luxury brands. We serve all their retails across the globe in stores and stuff like that. The piece, and these are really big luxury brands I'm talking about, piece that they sell of a diamond versus something varies. Pay scale varies, pay rate varies commissions vary, incentives vary. Now imagine this complexity in a product. It's easy to do outside and feed it in an Excel sheet. These are some of the things that they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis, right? So why did you want to productize it? What got that DNA in the company that we should not do it manually? Because yeah, because we all come from a technology background. Manual, manual is what's screwing everybody globally. That was coming out loud. Two things were screwing. Manual Number two, we coined something called the long tail, right? So all of these guys had a decent automation solution for large, big head countries like USA, where they had large employees, that they had providers who could look that long tail out of sixty-three. If thirty-five was their long tail, which is APAC, Middle East, Africa, LATAM, very complex rules, they had very fragmented solution. What was big head? A long tail was, and some of them were their emerging geographies like BRICS and all of that. No solution available. We said. We came from India. We originated from India. We had a technology mindset. We said, if this problem had to be solved, it cannot be your mess for less. It had to have a technology angle to it. If we have to productize it, if we fight a solution productizing it, we have a market that's on our seat. So we were talking about these pieces. So you said you first made the middleware. So middleware would be the gross-to-net calculators. No, the gross-to-net calculator was the later part. So the middle would be the input, integration, Output, reporting, net started, then we developed each country net, bought it into this, and then we developed outside the Dye, Maps and pieces. And what are these pieces? Just uh, take me through each of these pieces in the product, all the various parts of the product. So you have the input piece, which is your, and then you have the net. So the input would happen through an API integration, like you could, for example, yeah, integration. Yeah, so it, you will have a HRIS, multiple HRISs, multiple time absence systems. So that will not happen. Then that will flow into all the validation that will flow into the engine. Once the engine does the output, baselets and bank file, then your output integration to GLM. So the out, there is a compliance for that holds all the compliance, or files it electronically or sends it to a person who downloads it, goes it, comes back, uploads, blah, blah, blah. Then we had the reporting layer, our own reporting layer. We had our own integration layer. And then other pieces of the software, your time, your absence, your expense, your key up, all of that outside. So I understand output. You need to send back the payroll transfer amounts to the financing. Then this is what you need to transfer. And you need to send back pay slips. No, no, no. We've, you don't have to send it to the financial. You send a bank file to the bank and then it gets Transport. Okay, you can directly send it to the bank. Okay. A- and how do you send back the slip So that again, through an API integration or something with the HRIS? Yes? is No, no, basically. We have embed, deep embedded. So it's an ESS-MSS. Once they log into their HR ESS, what is ESS-MSS? Employee Self-Service ma- ma- Manager Self-Service. So the AF, everybody has a self-service. Nobody, they have their own portal which are, which are with the view for Akshay, which will have whatever data, and then there will be a payslip there, leave data, everything comes in that as a dashboard, right? So it goes into their ESS employees. Uh, and, so forth, and then they look at the payslip. So we have a deep link into if it's a workday, success factor, you said Davenbox, box, whatever is there. So they have their own employee self-service page where they apply for web, blah, blah blah blah, look at their stuff. So there it is. It goes. The payslip is gone into that. Okay. Okay. Got it. Now you said about attendance and the leave. Uh, so. These are things which you don't need to build, right? Because companies already have uh, a- an ESS. No, we have to build the software because a lot of companies, there are specific software that are there for leave and absence. But the problem is they are not implemented across the board. And we need, as I said, if we 30 countries, they have implemented 20 countries using one of those products. The remaining 10 countries, if they have to get truly automated, need leave and absence. Today, they're in Excel sheets and blah, blah, blah. So we replace them. Or in thirty countries, we they say okay, we got your payroll platform. We we'll get your entire time and absence platform in it. So that's fully integrated. Then it helps us. So what else is there in ESS besides leave attendance and payroll? No, ESS is the uh, what when you decide is done when the HR is implemented. HR is implemented. So what happens there is basically your all your information, whatever you can apply and all of that. But that is not part of payroll. That's where. When the HRIS is implemented, the ESS comes with it. From a payroll standpoint, we have seen in deep into ESS some of the payroll-specific data, like your base, slave, your leave, leave data, their real tax But the overall layout of the ESS is designed during the HRIS implement. Okay, so you, you have built a, a, like a leave engine and a, a all of those engines for companies as an option. Like some companies may wish to use that or some companies may continue to use their own HRIS. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. The automation that you have done does this? Does the productization go to the client as a separate with a separate pricing, or is this stuff which makes you more efficient? It's all perfect. face basically, price. Okay, so the client doesn't really care what you're doing in terms of the productization, the technology investment, but those are things which make you more profitable because. With the same headcount, you're able to handle more payslips. Absolutely. bang on. Tell me how that productivity has grown. Like 2014, what used to be, like say, payslips per headcount and what is it today? Like, see, typically, I tell you, it, the industry average is, they say, is one is 2,000, right? One person is 2,000 payslips or whatever, 1,000, whatever. With our software, when we go to optimum, I don't even need, I think we need maybe one is to 100,000 or whatever, because the human intervention becomes, right now we are somewhere in the middle if you have to keep it, right? But as we move along in the journey, we don't even need anybody to look at any parts of it, because it's all, if you move nearly near real time with the employee himself, then it becomes even more, very little, there may very little where I think we may still need some services around help desk. People still because it's payroll and sensitivity. People want to talk to someone if something goes wrong. They don't want a ro- robot telling that we check and tell. And stock companies don't want that because it's the guy is already frustrated. So the payroll outsourcing piece includes a help desk in it, like where employees can call and say, yeah, we have our own built desk software. So we also have chat and automated bots and all of that." But let me support about twenty five languages because it's global, so they can call. So, so if they depending on where they call from, it is louder to Mexico or Eastern Europe or APAC or India or whatever. You said there are like some four or five other global payroll companies, uh, any of them from India or these are all like US-based companies? US-based us and Europe-based. There's nobody from India. So how did you diversify from doing everything sitting in Chennai to having offices across the world? Tell me about that journey. Yeah, so no, we started in Chennai and then we realized when we moved into the journey, we need to get as global, right? Because it, as I say, language complexity, compliance complexity. So today, we have four centers in India, Chennai headquarter, corporate office, Pune, Madurai and Nagpur is our all-women center, one of its kind. No product company has an all-women center globally. So we have hired our first. We have an internal program called Sakti for women and then as part of the program, we started an all-women center in Nagpur, that's India. We have our center in Puebla in Mexico, we have in Egypt, we have in Eastern Europe and then Manila. This is where large headcounts are sitting and doing work. And then we have presence in thirty-five countries where we have sales, marketing, compliance, language specialists across the globe. So that is it. our aim is to reach fifty countries by next year. Tell me that journey. Like which country did you open up first, uh, venturing out of India? Like the whole journey of two. no, I don't remember the sequence. From full development centers, India followed by Manila, me- Mexico, Egypt, Eastern Europe. Obviously, US. And what was the timeline? Like which year did you? open rough. We've been existing for 13 years now. So we've done all of this in 13 years. I really don't have it in my head. But this would have all started after the pivot to payroll like 2014 onwards. Well, even before that, we had services centers out of Manila, Mexico, because we were HR services. And then the payroll expedited it across the globe. Boom. We had to be across the globe, right? Because compliance is a language and all of that needed feet in the ground. So many things and then but why do you need a large headcount outside India like you you need that help desk facility for which you need language specialists but yeah, yeah. We are still, we understand we are still pivoting the service to the product we still are in that journey so over a period of time the headcount will reduce but APAC gets serviced out of Manila Latam gets serviced out of Mexico Eastern Europe gets serviced out of Europe gets because Arabic gets served out of Egypt we still need that that mix has to go 80-20 on this side, which is in another 36 months. 80% product, 50% service. We are somewhere in the middle now, maybe 60% service, 40% product. Yeah. Tell me about like the secrets of acquiring Fortune 500 customers. How do you sell to such large customers? What has been your learnings? In It's not new to me, I've done it. Always in the past. I've always believed if you add a very specific value proposition, people will set up. The buying cycle for us is six to nine months. So we all know it. It's a long, it's a very involved deal. It's not something they will take it tomorrow. They're not buying a smart software or something. It's going to affect all their employees. Right? But the value proposition, if I were gone and told the same story, like the big companies that said, give it to me, they would have said, why should I even look at it? You're a small company. That is all in existence 60, 70 years. But the value proposition of transforming your payroll, that's the story they want to hear. That's the story intrigued them. Whether they buy it now, whether they buy it two years later, whether they buy it five years later. But the value proposition in this case is that's what made them sit up, right? But the flying cycle, obviously, sales is all about keeping at with the customer at every point of time. But if you have a very unique proposition and, and then the customer sits up, obviously, then you need to engage the customer, show them a demo. Talk to your reference customers, make them understand they it. there's more scrutiny. But the one-line story is what makes them sit up. How does it start? Like how do you even get a customer to sit with you? How do you build that credibility? Yeah, we have a solution evangelization team who reaches out to. We have a database. We have I mean it's a very small database of thousand global customers, right? And then they set up some time for our sales guys to meet them. Some of them not now and some of them later. So it goes on, right? So it starts with cold emails or like cold LinkedIn messages, cold emails, cold calls, then meetings, then they say you come back after six months, then we show them a demo. They said we are coming up with an RFP next year, why don't we contact us? Keep them in the database, go to them, do an RFP app in the buying cycle, right? So see, all of them will go through a very structured RFP. Daily, because it's their procurement process. They're all Fortune 5 very listed. I mean, nobody will just say, okay, single source and say, yeah, we looked at Niamo, we'll buy it. Avenue is nine months of these cycles. Right? It's not going to happen overnight. It's a very engaged, involved decision making process. Multiple stakeholders, multiple geography. You'll have to sneak Now, travels have started, Report. we have to travel. Two years, we did it all and now again, people want to meet us. It's a very involved decision. And there's something called account-based marketing. Is that something that you use? Marketing team does a whole lot of things, right? This is sales. So marketing has their own ways. And how does marketing contribute here? What are the ways in which? Website, traffic So We have a separate track. We have lots of advisories who advise clients on deals. So we map them, we educate them. Because they are involved in like, with and y, a lot of large advisories because it's a large deal. It's social media. Fourth is we conduct a lot of events ourselves, participate in events. So that's the full part. And then that's what drives there, That that's what I call keeps the fourth ready. And then it just yes. sales has their own way, they have a structured database, they jar. So when both of them cut words and then you move. Do you spend more on marketing or more on sales like the when you say spend, sales is more just resources, right? But uh, yeah, space is headcount only. Yeah. yeah. The actual spend outside of headcount happens in marketing because there is very large. No, but including headcount, like you would have a total cost of sales team and all of that, I and mean, their incentives, etc. as one. I was staying there at sales. Uh, because marketing is because sales, we have 50 country sales teams and all of that. There are startups which are. Offering a similar service, you might have heard of uh, DEEL. They don't do play, they don't. Okay. What do they do? There's something called INOR. NIAMO also does it, employer of record. So, what happens is if you want to be global, but you don't have entities. So, today's world has opened up a lot of people having I mean, work from anywhere, anytime. I can hire then programmers in Ukraine and stuff like that, but I don't have an entity. Although I pay them. So, that's, that's when we become their employer on record, just on record. That's you are and then so niamo has a separate service for Edward and record that does that which is not payroll payroll so please understand payroll is very different some of these deals all of them are an employment record business what we call your so they would have even niamo would have basically set up local entities in each of these countries and these local entities act as or partners or with partners, with partners. Okay. okay okay and these partners or these local entities are The on-paper employer who's paying out the salary. That's what they are. Yeah. This is, is this a big part of your service offering? This EUR business? Not 10%, 15%, but we are a very large, as I said, our core USP will remain to be the largest we started this UR, I mean, four, five years back, because when we went to RFPs, they had presence in 30 countries, four countries, they had no entities, had to support them as part of the larger income, and then now we have a lot of new age companies wanting to be global, and that's happening, but UR companies can never get into payroll payroll right, companies can get into your logical extension, but your company, the reverse doesn't happen. The complexity is too much for them to. This is all what private cars in Kenya are very easy if this is like the 30,000, the country 20,000 employees. Like a downward, upward integration from that perspective. Maybe you would also want to have your own uh, HRIS. Maybe it's 15 years later, no, I don't but right now there's so much of market in this. Why would I even get Doing something. It's like a uh, uh, masala dosa shop wanting to start uh, chicken biryani. As the CEO, what are the metrics that you track? What are the metrics that are important? Revenue, profitable. If you just focus on metrics, revenue, and profit. So profitability, what moves the needle there? One is, of course, investment in technology that will move the needle there and make you more profitable. And that is the only and that the more it becomes our own product, the profitability is very high. Uh, and obviously, there are other parameters we have to look at our resourcing. Maybe we still have services around the edges, how do you ensure that they are contained and stuff like that, right? But technology is fundamentally shifting our profit. W- what is the Percentage of profit as a percentage of revenue, profit as a percentage of revenue. See, today we do about 25% EBITDA. Okay, that's amazing. And are there uh, challenges around scaling up headcount, scaling up employees? Headcount scaling has stopped for us because more and more we invest in technology. I don't think headcount scale is never a problem for us. But obviously, I'm Christian, there are markets are throwing money at people. I think this whole thing has. Stop somewhere. I personally feel. I think it is coming to an end, and that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the dot in. That's ad at thepodium dot in.